0: CHAPTER Six OF WANTED. A HUSBAND. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Had Andy Dunn's surmise been laid before Darcy, it might have brought sorely needed encouragement to her soul as the regenerative process went on. True, she had presently passed the first crisis which athletic regimen develops for the untrained and which is purely muscular. She no longer swung to and fro a helpless pendulum between the agonies of apprehension and the anguish of action. The steady exercise was telling In so far as her muscles were concerned. She had still to face the test of discipline. In this second and sterner crisis, Andy Dunn could help her but little. It was a question of her own power of will, a will grown slack and flabby from lack of exercise. Ahead of her loomed only dimly discerned as yet the ordeal of strenuous monotony the deadly dull prolonged grind wherein endurance as it hardens is subjected to a constantly harsher strain until the soul revolts as in the earlier stage the body had rebelled a subject like gloria green high and fine of spirit The sage Mr. Dunn could have eased through the difficult phase by appeals to her pride and to the sense of partnership which the successful trainer must establish between himself and his pupil. With Darcy, this was impracticable, because Andy Dunn, as he would have admitted with a regretful grin, was in wrong. Darcy enthusiastically hated him. At first sight, she had estimated him as a stem spirit, through successive changes, that reckoning had been altered to harsh, then brutal, and now satanic. Gloria's judgment of her note of introduction as a commutation ticket to Hades first class was amply borne out. Professionally, Mister Dunn's discourse tended ever to the horatory and corrective. He was a master of the verbal rowel. Keep it up, again. Ah, put some punch in it. Yah ain't half tryin'. Go on, you gotta do better than that and occasionally rotten. Worse still was a manner he had of regarding her with an expression of mild and regretful wonder, whilst giving voice to his bulldogish doggish in a tone indicating only too plainly that never before was a conscientious trainer so bored and afflicted with such an utterly incompetent inefficient and generally hopeless subject as the daily withering darcy in lighter moments he would regale her with reminiscences of the big feller and his eccentricities in and insubordinations under training while darcy would lie panting and spent on the hard floor "'wondering regretfully why the big feller hadn't killed Mr. Dunn "'when opportunities must have been so plentiful. "'Then, just as her labored breathing would begin to ease, "'the taskmaster and Mr. Dunn would awaken. "'The call, time, would sound like doom to her ears, "'and she would set to it again, "'arching on her back, rolling on her stomach, "'where the three creases were beginning to flatten, "'yanking at overweighted pulleys, interminably skipping a loathly rope, standing up like a dumb tin pen before the ponderous medicine-ball which Mr. Dunn hurled at her, punching at an elusive and too often vengeful bag, rowing an imaginary boat against wind, wave, and every dictate of her weary body, and finally running silly circles around the room like a demented cat, until the monitor uttered the one lone word of pity in his inquisitorial vocabulary. Nuff. Had all this deep-wrung sweat of brow and soul produced any definable effect, Darcy could have borne it with a resigned spirit. It didn't. Four times a week she went through the hideous grind, and nothing happened. Each night she went to bed early, and, after profound sleep, had to get up out of the cuddly warmth into a shudderingly cold bath, and nothing happened. She gave up the before-dinner cocktail, and with it what little zest she had for her deadly plain diet, and nothing happened. She denied her sweet tooth so much as one little bite of candy. Oh, but that was a bitter deprivation. And nothing happened. To her regimen at the gymnasium, she added a stint of simple but violent house exercises on off days, and nothing happened. Life, which she had supposed, in her first flush of hopeful enthusiasm for the new regime, would be one grand sweet song, was, in fact, one petty, sour discord, wherein nothing happened. This was quite right and logical, had Darcy but known it. Layers of fat, physical and moral, accumulated through years of self-coddling, are not worked off in a week or a month. There came a day when something did happen. There always does. It was not of that order of occurrences which can be foreseen by the expert eye. It seldom is. Andy Dunn, honestly and simply intent on earning his money, had been unusually exigent. Besides, Darcy had a nail in her shoe. Besides, Mr. Regal had been curtly critical of her latest and most original design as newfangled. Besides, Maud was becoming satirically curious as to where she was spending so many afternoons. Besides, it was a rotten day. There was no light on earth or in heaven. What's the use of it all, anyway? thought Darcy to herself, for perhaps the fiftieth time, but rather more fervently than before. As if in exasperation of her agnostic mood, the preceptor, in the half-time intermission, has suggested not less but more work. You're getting stale, observed Mr. Dunn, which Darcy thought a hopeful beginning. I feel so, she said. Thar's a clock, Mr. Dunn informed her, at fifty-ninth and eighth. Darcy waited. Thar's another at hundred and tenth and seventh, pursued the chronometrical Mr. Dunn, and fell into calculating thought. Darcy waited again. You leave fifty ninth at four twenty PM When? Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Oh, said Darcy blankly. And you get to hundred and tenth in time to hear that clock strike five. What? Walk nearly three miles in forty minutes? No, said Mr Dunn, thoughtfully. Then how you'd better run part way or you won't make it on time. You want to kill me. "'declared the petulant and self-pitying Darcy. "'Rumph!' said Mr. Dunn. "'S'pose it rains!' put forth Darcy desperately. "'Then y'all get wet,' was Mr. Dunn's reasonable answer. "'And catch my death riding back in the bus. "'Don't ride. Walk. I'm giving this to you for fresh air. "'But, Mr. Dunn, time!' it may have been this fresh grievance which lay heavy upon darcy's chest clogging her breathing and slowing her suppled muscles she was conscious of doing less well than usual and of not caring either the medicine ball was heavier and more unwieldy than ever the punching bag instinct with demoniac vitality came back at her on a new schedule and bumped her nose violently a mortifying incident which had not occurred since the first week the despicable little hand-ball propelled by her trainer bounded just a fraction of an inch out of her straining reach and when she did hit it felt as soggy as sand and as hard as rock and raised stone bruises on her hands she even pinched her thumb in the rowing machine which is the zenith of inexpertness with every fresh mishap she became more self-piteous and resentful and reckless andy the experienced would have ascribed all this to that common if obscure phenomenon an off day familiar to every professor whether of integral calculus or the high trapeze then the dreadful thing happened and he revised his opinion the last and therefore worst five minutes of the grind had come darcy lay on the mat going through the loathed body and limb lifting while andy dunn exhorted her to speed up now the legs come on hup something in darcy went on strike can't she said Grump, what's the matter won't said darcy from the corner of a hot and rebellious eye she could see over spreading her trainer's face that familiar expression of contemptuous and weary patience anything else she could have stood but that that was the spark that fired the powder stooping over the trainer laid hold none too gently on one inert heel heaven and earth reserved themselves for mr andy dunn also day and night for a galaxy of stars appeared and circulated before his mazed eyes the walls and the ceiling joined in the whirl to which an end was set by the impact of the floor against the back of his head for one brief sweet romantic moment andy dunn was back in the training ring with the big feller and that venerated and mulish right had landed one on his jaw but why oh why should the mighty john l thereupon burst into hysterical sobbing and if it wasn't the big feller who was it making those grievous noises mr dunn sat up viewed a huddled girlish form trying unsuccessfully to burl head foremost out of sight in the hard mat and came to a realization of the awful fact with all the force of her newly acquired leg muscles the meek miss cole had landed a galvanic kick on his unprotected chin for a moment he stared in stupefaction then he arose and went quickly forth into his own place where he sat on a chair and rubbed his chin and thought and presently began to chuckle and kept it up until the chuckle grew into a laugh which shook his tough frame more violently than had the unexpected assault well i am damned said mr dunn the little son of a gun meanwhile darcy lay curled up like a quaking armadillo Probably Andy Dunn would kill her. She didn't much care. Life wasn't worth living anyhow. She was through. The one pleasant impression of her whole disastrous gymnasium experience was the impact of her heel against that contemptuous chin. She opened one eye. Andy Dunn was not where he should have landed as the result of the revolution which he had been performing when he whirled from her view. She opened the other eye. "'Andy Dunn was not anywhere. "'He had vanished into nothingness. "'With all the sensation of a criminal, "'Darcy rose, dressed, and fled. "'She fled straight to Gloria Green. "'That industrious person was, as usual, at work, "'and, as usual, found time to hear Darcy's troubles. "'What she heard was gaspy and fragmentary. "'Gloria, I've done an awful thing!' "'What?' "'Out with it,' commanded the actress. I, k- k- "'I can't tell you,' gulped Darcy. "'Mr. Dunn, I mean, I... K- 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 "'Yes?' encouraged Gloria. "'What awful thing have you done to Andy Dunn? "'Kissed him?' "'No, worse.' "'Oh, you k- k- killed him, I suppose,' twinkled Gloria. "'I don't know.' I hope so. I k- k- kicked him. I kicked him good. Darcy, where? On the chin. What did he do? Disappeared. Do I understand that you kicked him into microscopical pieces? Don't laugh at me, Gloria. It's very, very serious. It sounds so. I'm done with it forever. Done with what? The gymnasium, the diet, Andy Dunn, everything. Oh, no, you're not. I am, I am, I am, declared Darcy with progressive petulance. I've been torturing myself for nothing. It hasn't made a bit of difference. Look at me. Gloria looked and with difficulty concealed a smile of satisfaction for to her expert eyes there was a difference a marked difference still submerged but obvious beneath the surface in movements which formerly sluggish were now brisk and supple in a clear eye and a skin which seemed to fit on the flesh where before it had sagged how did you get up here inquired gloria abruptly ran up the whole four flights the elevator is working Damn the elevator, said the outrageous Darcy. A few weeks ago you were damning it because it wouldn't carry up your lazy body. Isn't there a difference now? I don't care. It isn't the difference I want. I want to look like something, Gloria. I'm desperate. No, child, that isn't despair. It's temper. It's not. Go back to Andy's and work it off. I won't. Very well. With a sigh for her interrupted task, Gloria selected a hat, set it carefully upon her splendid hair, and pinned it in place. "'You'll excuse me, won't you, my dear?' she added in tones which aroused her visitor's alarmed suspicions. "'Where are you going? To see Mr. Dunn?' "'Not at all.' Darcy's misgivings livened into something like terror. "'Where, then?' "'To see Maud and Helen.' "'What for?' to recount to them the authentic and interesting history of Sir Montrose Vasey Bart, hand-picked fiancée of Gloria, you wouldn't be so base. I would be just that base, returned the other in the measured tones of judgment, but I'll give you a respite until your next training day. When is it? Day after tomorrow, answered Darcy faintly if you aren't at andy's then to answer to the call of time i'll tell the whole thing to the two fiancees with whatever extra details my imagination can provide whereupon darcy burst into tumultuous weeping declared that she hadn't a friend in the world and didn't care anyway because she wished she was dead and went forth of that unsympathetic spot with the air and expression of one spurning earth's vanities and deceptions forever Being wise in her generation and kind, Gloria knew that the girl would go back to her martyrdom. So she called up Andy Dunn for a conference, which concluded with this sage advice from her to him. "'This is the appointed time, Andy. When she comes back, put the screws on. Hard. She'll go through. If she doesn't, let me know.' No scapegrace of school, led back from truancy after some especially nefarious project, ever wore a face of more tremulous abasement than Miss Darcy Cole, returning to her faithful trainer whom she had kicked in the jaw. As he entered the gymnasium, a strip of court plaster on the curve of his chin caught her fascinated attention, and for the moment evicted from her mind the careful apology which she had formulated. Before she could recapture it, the opportunity was gone. Time, barked Mr. Dunn. The day's work was on. Such an ordeal as Darcy underwent in consequence of Gloria's advice, few of Mr. Dunn's pupils other than professional athletes would have been called upon to endure, a fact which might have helped her had she known it. Not knowing it, she won through that violent hour on sheer grit. At the trainer's final... "'Nuff!' she contrived to smile, but she couldn't quite manage to walk off the floor. She sat down upon a convenient medicine ball and waited for the dimness to clear. A hand fell on her shoulder and rested there with an indefinable pressure of fellowship. She looked up to see the taskmaster standing above her. "'Say, kid,' he began. You're a kid, ain't you?' he broke off a little doubtfully. "'I'm going on... Twenty-two, panted Darcy. Yeah, I'd figure you about there, now. Well, I'm an old man, old enough for the father stuff, and I want to tell you something. I like you. Do you know why I like you? Darcy, with brightening eye, shook her head. Because you're game, said Mr. Andy Dunn. A voice within Darcy's heart burst into song. For the first time in her life she had been praised to the limit of a fellow-being's measure, for gameness, as she well knew, was the ultimate virtue to the athlete mind. The big feller had been game, even in his downfall it was that, over and above all his victories, which had enshrined him in Andy Dunn's and thousands of other stout and inexpressive hearts. Her trainer had paid her his finest compliment. Your game!' he repeated. I don't know exactly what y'are out after, but I'm backin' y'all to get it. Thank you, Mr. Dunn, said Darcy gratefully. "Grumph," retorted that gentleman. Cut the mister. Andy to you. Thank you, Andy, said the recipient of the accolade. End of chapter 6